This morning we're starting a new sermon series, learning uh, perseverance for life as we examine the books of Jeremiah and Lamentations in the weeks moving forward. I encourage each one of us to grab one of these on your way out, and whether you're going to work through that on your own or as a family or in a small group, find time to do this study through the seven lessons that were written by different voices across our congregation and based all on the book Faith Faith Enough to Finish by Jill Briscoe. Um, it's an excellent, it's an excellent opportunity to examine God's presence in your life, even when it feels like he's not there and you can't hear God speak. And so when it comes to the questions of where is God, we're going to find that we aren't alone in asking that. And we certainly aren't the first ones to ever consider it. Lamentations is an intense and extreme biblical account of suffering. Suffering is an unavoidable element in the human condition, regardless of your gender, race, socioeconomic status. It's often been said that to be human is to suffer. And since the Bible, as we know, is full of stories of real human beings and their real life experiences, it's not surprising that we see much suffering as we read. You know, there's two pretty big events in the history of the Hebrew people in the Old Testament, and they're polar opposites the exodus from Egypt, and the exile that we're going to learn about as we go through Lamentations and Jeremiah. Now, the exodus, if you remember, is a story of people and salvation, of being a people in bondage to going and being chosen by God and delivered from the Egyptians. And when the delivery is recorded, if you remember, the Hebrew people are singing and dancing because God has freed them. The exile into Babylon which happened during the writing of Lamentations and much of Jeremiah, is the exact opposite of singing and dancing. It is an event of judgment accompanied by immense suffering. God's people are taken into Babylonian slavery. The city of Jerusalem falls, and it is a time of desolation and lament. And Lamentations is a book that provides us with a firsthand account of feelings and words, emotions of loss, pain, and death, during this time. And you can read more about it in 2 Kings 25 if you want the historical account, but the intensity and complexity of the suffering that came when Jerusalem was destroyed and then the 70 years of exile that follow is difficult. The loss is total. From carnage and brutality, cannibalism, sacrilegious actions, innocent people killed, the army and king actually flee and leave the people. There is a complete disregard of human life and worse, the very worst that can happen to body and spirit, to person and nation happened there. And horrifyingly, that kind of devastation still happens today, both in large-scale horrors and also in personal agonies. And neither taking the time to explain suffering nor offering a program for the elimination of suffering. Lamentations insists that God enters into our suffering and that God is our companion in its midst, even when it doesn't seem like that. There are five chapters in Lamentations, and over the next two weeks, we're going to look mainly at chapter three, really on that little middle part, those 13 voices where we fix our eyes on God's mercy. Lamentations is written by the prophet Jeremiah, and while giving an account of the destructions and events, it is written in a poetic style, but that does not make it any less horrifying. 
The first two chapters are written mainly as Jerusalem personified, right? He becomes the city of Jerusalem, is writing from their perspective as he describes the atrocities that are happening. But here in chapter 3, he begins to write as the voice of the individual sufferer. For Jeremiah's personal lament should be a reminder to each and every one of us that suffering is always personal. When nations go through times of tragedy and tribulation, the greatest suffering always takes place at the individual level. And it is here as the individual that Jeremiah will write and unashamedly credit the horrors that are happening directly to God. He states that God has brought Jerusalem's disaster. And then he's going to offer 19 verses describing all of the events and actions as God's and God's alone. Now, these first 19 verses aren't in your uh, back of your order of service there, but I'm going to put them up on the screens. And if you have your Bibles and if you've been bringing them with you, this is an opportunity, a great opportunity to make some marks as I read this to you. And as we look at these first, two uh, first 19 verses in chapter 3 here, I want you somewhere in the back of your mind to be comparing this to Psalm chapter 23, right? The Good Shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, right? He leads me beside still waters, green pastures, restores my soul, makes my path straight, all of that. And for extra credit, because I know I see some students out there, there's gall mentioned, which is what the soldiers offer Jesus to drink when he's on the... Look at you guys, you're going to go so far in life. Now here we go, this is Lamentations 3. Jeremiah speaking, I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he, God, has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He has made my skin and my flesh grow old and has broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. He has walled me in so I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. Even when I call out or cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has barred my way with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. There's one line in particular that struck me. Maybe it's because I love the book of John so much and the idea of light and darkness. And there it is. He has made me walk in darkness. This seems to be one of the hardest parts of life and faith, I think, that God should lead us into darkness. Perhaps the other way of looking at this then that we're supposed to see is if the darkness is the place where God has led us, then this is the best place for us to be right here in the dark. Jeremiah keeps going and he says, like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in hiding. God dragged me from the path and mangled me and left me without help. He drew his bow and made me the target for his arrows. He pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. I became the laughingstock of all my people. They mock me in song all day long. He has filled me with bitter herbs and given me gall to drink. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has trampled me in the dust. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is, so I say my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped from the Lord. Jeremiah finds himself in a dark and desperate place, feeling that God is his adversary, his enemy. God is not his friend. So much 
that everything he thought life was going to be is officially gone now. There is nothing, nothing but hurt, emptiness. And if you've suffered, more than likely you've felt that too. Then Jeremiah says, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them. And my soul is downcast within me. Jeremiah did not prescribe positive thinking for this deep affliction. It would seem that he felt it was useful to remember his affliction, to understand it for what it was, to not pretend like it wasn't there. He didn't say if there was only something I could drink or if I could just check out for a while or if there was something to distract me. Rather, he says, it is good for my soul to be downcast, to sink, to find its bottom point. Not because he's a sadist and likes pain or because he feels like he deserves it. He remembers his downcast soul so that he could build, build on the right foundation. If 19 verses show his bitterness, his complaining, how God himself has done this, how Jeremiah has looked at his entire life and now blamed not the invading nation, not his sin nor the sins of his leaders or his fellow countrymen, has not acknowledged that evil exists in this world and that this world is broken. He is blaming God and God alone. And all that he had ever expected to get from God, which he thought was going to be good, is gone and it is God who did this. And maybe you've been there a few times yourself. I know I have. Trying to work out, does God cause pain or not? Wondering why does evil always threaten what is good? Why does suffering happen? Why are some people healed and some not? Is there any real meaning behind any of this anyhow? And how come death and destruction is always ready to strike? In our text, Jeremiah does not seek to solve the problems of pain, nor does he ask for God to have the evil be done away with. Jeremiah, here in the midst of evil, shows us how we can face suffering and pain and loss and sickness and evil and how we can live with their reality. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Here we are given a different feeling. Here we find that the soul that has been downcast, broken, struck down to nothing, did not turn to anger, nor even despair, but in humility, turned to the hand of God and had hope revived. Jeremiah could have turned away from God, but by the grace and mercy of God, he chose to come close to God, to remember truth that is realer than what we feel and experience and see. For the first time in this book, from two chapters told from the, from the perspective of a nation to one person's perspective here in the brokenness, smallest, deepest part, the soul. 
Hope isn't allowed. Jeremiah remembers something that started, that was given, that was created, that is kindling the hope within him. He remembers and surrenders to the Lord and finds love. In Hebrew, the word he remembers, this great love, is called hesed, the covenant love and unending loyalty of the Lord. That is what is going to keep him from being consumed and leads us to see rahamim, compassion, mercy, Compassion and mercy that never fails. And did you know that rachamin is derived from rachem, which means womb? When the poet reached for a word to best describe the astonishing mercy of God, he chose a woman's womb. Imagining God's love to be like that unique love shared by a woman for her child, who carries that child in her own body, whose mind is constantly drawn to the child, who will sacrifice her own body, give up her own life so that that child can live who allows that child to live inside regardless of the sickness and pain she will experience while caring and giving birth, for the child is hers. And in the midst of certain pains, we are to fix our minds on the unbreakable and active womb love of our God. For only in that love will we find hope in our hopelessness, the promise of joy in our sorrows. See, Jeremiah remembers his suffering, his anguish, but he also remembers the faithfulness of God, the promise of God, the restorative hope of God. And in the middle of carnage and brutality and the very worst of life is this burning cry of beauty because of the compassion of God, which is never absent. Each dawning day gives us hope in fresh mercies and compassion from God. And thanks be to God, right, because we need a constant supply of mercy. And your God has promised to give it to you without limit. No matter how bad the past day was, God's people can look to the new morning with faith and hope. Every morning ends the night. The light overcomes the darkness every morning, bringing a new day. Every morning brings new forgiveness for new sins. Every morning brings you new strength for the new temptations, duties, and trials that this life demands. But every morning new. Even in devastation, God is faithful. Faithfully announced that his judgments were coming to the people of Jerusalem. And we must trust that God will prove to be just as faithful in his promise of restoration. It is the same for you and I. Jeremiah wrote from his perspective and dresses God personally and directly, saying, great is your faithfulness, your compassions, your love. Jeremiah teaches us to remember the personalness, the closeness of God, who told Jeremiah and us that before you were in the womb, I knew you. God draws Jeremiah and us us who are surrounded by evil and death into this living fellowship, this intimate communion, which is the only thing that can give us the courage to stand up and cry, to say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will hope in him and I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Jeremiah found the key to peace, finding one's portion in the Lord. 
whatever measure he was to receive, whatever inheritance, whatever future, anything that is coming Jeremiah's way is going to be found now in God alone. These words are the words of a soul that has received peace even in suffering. The Lord is my portion. My hope is in him. Jeremiah had no other place of peace. So he goes to the portion that he has received. He goes to the Lord. He turns his eyes from himself. He turns his eyes from his surroundings and looks up and says, the Lord himself is what I need. Friends, God cannot really be our hope until he is first what we need, our portion, our end, our beginning, until our fate is tied to the Lord's. And you better believe it is. Paul asks, who will save us from this body of death? Who will save us from this wretched world in which we live in? Thanks be to God for Jesus Christ, in whom alone we are saved. You cannot know the truth. You cannot know the way. You cannot have life if you do not have Jesus. The one who is familiar with your suffering, the one who knows you, the one who came for you, the one who died for you, the one who holds your life in his pierced hands, Jesus is the one and only place where you can find yourself in, where you will be given the peace you need in suffering, the love you need to endure, the hope you need. Your portion, friends, has been given to you, and it is Christ Jesus himself. The prophet knows this, realizes this, and says, don't be in a hurry. Don't become obsessed to be delivered out of trouble when you enter into suffering, patiently expecting some sort of fast food delivery out of all of your troubles. Instead, know that the Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to those who seek him, to those who wait, for there are times when the only thing you can do as you suffer is to wait God. And as the band makes its way up here, I think it would be really beautiful if Lamentations ended on that note. But it doesn't. There are two more chapters after this bold confession of faith. Two more chapters of lamenting. For there is more death, there is more exile, there is more desolation coming. That God doesn't act right away when we suffer is difficult for us. Here, I'll move, ladies. You can come on up. Jeremiah was left without answers. Jeremiah did not receive an immediate divine response, just like us a lot of the times. Jeremiah was left only with a promise from God. What do you do? How do you carry on in faith when those verses that you've put up around your homes seem to ring hollow. I mean, how much of a difference does it make knowing that all things work to the good when you're in the midst of tragedy? How do you persist in faith when pain unrelentingly continues, when God does not answer you, and when you feel alone? I'm not always so sure. And if I stood up here and told you <laughs> All I know is this. You have been called to carry and to give. To carry what comes 
and to give it to Jesus. Whether that is good or bad, whether that is joyful or brings mourning, you carry it and you give it to Jesus simultaneously. Your faith endures because you have a God that has suffered and taken death for you and destroyed its power over you. Moreover, you have the resurrection of Christ that that life, not lament, is his answer. When disappointment, pain, and despair comes, eternal life is what he has given and abundant life is what he promises to you in spite of everything that comes your way. So we carry and we give, we pray and live, we live and pray. In suffering, in joy, we turn to God in trust and hope, knowing that we have his promise. We have faith. We are not promised certainty without suffering. We are promised faithfulness in the presence of God. And that is why you will stand, why you can stand and echo Jeremiah's cry in whatever darkness surrounds you, that you can make your stand on the faithfulness of God because of the Lord's great love for you. Because of the Lord's great love for you, you will never be consumed. For his compassions never fail. They will be new to you every morning. Great is his faithfulness to every generation. And as we stand and sing, I will pray us into this next song. Will you stand with me as I pray for you? I speak the name of the Lord Jesus over this congregation today. In your hurting, in your sorrow, it is God himself who will come to you. In desperation, it is heaven, the kingdom of heaven that will come to you, that you will experience. I pray that you would experience his healing, that circumstances of your life, the pain, the suffering, the wrong would change, that the fear that is inside of you, when it hears the name of Jesus Christ, when you call upon him, would flee. I pray for a breakthrough in your suffering today. I pray for for releasement from that which would bondage you and hold you. The name of Jesus was given to you in your baptism. Your Lord Jesus is faithful to you, keeps you. No grave will have the hold over you. He will take that which is dead and will bring it to life. He himself has promised to be your portion. He himself gives you what you need. This is yours in the Lord Jesus who loves you without fail. Amen.